Hey, what's up, guys? I'm Paige. I'm Lily. And I'm Clint. And this is Awfully Good Podcast. Thanks for being here, guys. This is our first podcast. This is where we tell you the dirty secrets of some of society's heroes. Um, Towards the end of the week, I think Friday, we're going to try to launch our website, awfullygoodpodcast.com. So check us out at our social media, AG Podcast on Instagram and Awfully Pod on Twitter to get some news on uh, some giveaways and some announcements on when that's going to come up. Uh, We're going to be trying to do some podcasts every single week, so stay tuned. We'll go ahead and do some quick little intros so you guys know the unqualified shitheads that are going to be talking to you today. I'll go first. I am Clint's wife. We've been married for three and a half years. I know because I checked today. And I am Lily's best friend. I claim that title. We've been friends for like 20 years. And I used to sneak into Lily's house. I used to break in and make her hang out with me every day. I, I also forced Clint to move in with me, and I think that that was the best decision of his life. True. <laughs> we have three children. We have one human child, and she's the best. And then we have two beautiful pupper children. And, um, yeah, I forced them to hang out with me every day, too. So I think that's pretty much all you need to know about me. Uh, Lily, do you want to go next? I'm Lily. I have zero children, um, and I only have two friends. Um, in terms of being an unqualified shithead, I barely passed high school, and then I dropped out of college, and I haven't learned a single thing since. Uh, and that's honestly too much information for you all to have about me to begin with. Uh, I'm Clint. I'm Paige's husband. Uh, I also dropped out of college, so don't listen to me about anything, and I can't let anybody have fun, so I like to ruin it for everybody, and that's why I'm here. Yeah, we all went to Raytown. Uh, we are from Raytown, Missouri. So it's a pretty small, not the best town. So we have kind of an interesting perspective on things. We grew up a little bit different than a lot of people. So yeah, this will be interesting uh, to start. So yeah, Lily and I both grew up poor and brown, for example. (laughs) Hell yeah. And what she means by small, not great community means we barely know how to read uh, and writing is a challenge. And your tax dollars are being wasted if you live in this municipal area. <laughs> yeah, I was the editor. I was an editor of the news, newspaper for the high school, if that tells you anything. The quality we got at our school. Yeah, it was really interesting. We grew up having to wear ID badges every day. You Still know. don't understand what that was about. Anywhom. Okay, so... Our first episode is going to be on police unions. Are they awful or are they good? Clint, do you want to take it away with our little intro? Yeah, so we're recording this in early 2021, and uh, 2020 was uh, a a challenging year, I guess we could all say, with the uh, coronavirus and then the uh, civil unrest because of the um, unjust uh, extrajudicial murders of innocent American citizens, particularly black Americans. So that's kind of the uh, the preface, the uh, setting the stage a little bit. I'm sure everybody's aware. After all this, after this is kind of the tail end of the uh, the protests and stuff. So the protests brought to light a lot of a lot of issues that we all need to confront, you know, as a, as a society. Not to be all Joker meme about it, but uh, one of the constant questions that was raised during this time was uh, the efficacy of police unions. You know, what are they? Why are they? What do they do? Are they good? Are they bad? And that's kind of what we're here to answer. And uh, I guess I'll just kick it off with my uh, intro. In the North, 
police were beginning to be established in the 1830s and were used by the business and financial elite to brutally crush labor agitation and strikes, famously killing four union strikers in Chicago in 1886. In the South, police departments were established off the backs of slave patrol groups, solely purposed to uphold the power of the white landowners and manage the movement of black people in the South. In the early 1900s, police had grown dissatisfied with their working conditions, like most of the workers in America who were at that point unionizing. The police began to form fraternal organizations aimed at creating a unified approach to their local mayors to increase their wages and address any other labor changes that they demanded. Local mayors and police commissioners argued that the police have no right to unionize, just as the Army or Navy waived that right. In 1897, a group of Cleveland police officers attempted to petition the AFL for a charter as a union. The AFL rejected their petition, saying, quote, It is not within the province of the trade union movement to especially organize policemen, no more than to organize militiamen, as both policemen and militiamen are often controlled by forces inimical to the labor movement inimical meaning uh, to obstruct or harm. During World War I, labor unions made many advancements, such as abolishing the 12-hour workday, increased wages, and better protections for collective bargaining. Police, inspired by the success in organized labor, began attempting to unionize themselves. In 1919, Boston police officers petitioned the AFL for a charter. The police commissioner, Edwin Upton Curtis, forbade his officers from trying to unionize going as far as to suspend 19 officers who were trying to organize for insubordination. After this, most of the city's 1,500 officers walked off duty as to strike for their right to unionize. Widespread rioting and looting followed when Edwin Upton Curtis fired 1,100 strikers. Calvin Coolidge, who was governor at the time, even said, quote, There is no right to strike against the public safety by anybody, anywhere, anytime. This hardline stance against unionization hindered the populist push for police unionization for decades until the 1950s and 60s. At this time, organized labor had increased their, the wages and working conditions of many Americans. Unions had reached their apex of political and social power by the 1950s, raising millions of Americans to the middle class and affording them many benefits that had previously been unobtainable. Police organizers began to demand collective bargaining as well, following in the footsteps of the same people they had been putting down for decades who had finally won their organization after decades of fighting against the capital owners and police. The first steps were taken by New York police, who staged a work slowdown in the early 60s, and then in Detroit with a sit-in around the same time. In 1964, the Police Benevolent Association, the PBA, had bargained off their right to strike in order to gain union status. Once union membership had been established in some major cities, the practice spread throughout the country, ultimately leading to 75-80% to 80% police officer unionization by 2017. During the 1980s, the Reagan years, the economic policies that were implemented left many cities underfunded, which meant the police unions couldn't bargain for wage increases, so they turned their attention to gaining protections for their officers. During this time, we see the policies that protect officers coming into shape, as well as the increased militarization and ruthless drug enforcement policies that would eventually lead to the crisis of policing we seem to find ourselves in. All this begs the question, are police unions protecting the public like they claim, or are they just protecting themselves? So I'm wondering whenever I hear this, like the protections that are being put into place, like what kind of protections like are we talking about? I think specifically we're talking about um, qualified immunity, uh, officer reinstatement policies, uh, the uh, misconduct boards. 
honestly, there's a litany of things that they do that protects their officers from being held accountable. So let's go through some of the uh, protections that are that have been put in place since the 1980s. One of the uh, most important ones, I mean, one of the worst ones, I guess you should say, is uh, the the policy of erasing disciplinary records. Uh, it's it's kind of wild. Some departments require uh, record deletion after only six months. Other departments wait as long as two years, but most departments still have a policy of deleting records. So the records would include um, any complaints of misconduct, any sort of uh, if they've been punished for anything. And uh, often you'll see if a police officer gets fired or found guilty of some sort of crime and they need to go, you know, they lose their job. They'll just go to a different uh, department because there's no record of them losing their job or why they lost their job. So that's one of the worst ones. Another one that is kind of, it's really weird. This is like, this is the only group of people who have something like this. So if an officer is involved in a, a shooting or a, any sort of use of force, the unions bargained a 48-hour uh, hold uh, between the incident and whenever they get interviewed to uh, you know, produce a statement about what happened. And during that 48-hour hold of, of time where they can, they can use that time to review case files, which includes witness statements, and then any photographic or video evidence in the file. So they can just see the case against them if they're accused of any wrongdoing, and they can finagle a way to get out of any discipline, once again, providing them protections to not face any consequences for their actions. It's so crazy. I'm, like, wondering in what scenario is something like that necessary, you know? Like, no other type of job or, like, workforce or whatever has protections like that. And, I mean, in what sort of investigation, like, would you give somebody on trial, like, the evidence before the investigation? Right. Yeah, it kind of seems to go, like, against the entire, like, legal process as a whole. Yeah, in what case would an in an innocent person need that? You know, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, I mean, in their case, it's um, you know, it's interdepartmental or whatever. You know, it, it's not like a criminal case, so it's not illegal because it's because yeah, they you know check themselves. There's no outside governing body that says, "Oh, you did do something, and you should be held criminally liable." Criminally liable. Instead, the department says. You know, should you be placed on a one week suspension or not? <laughs> so they just can do whatever they want and they risk, you know, a week suspension. That's about it. Like the perfect time for them to like come up with a full script and everything. Right. Before they get questioned like literally by their coworkers. And you see this too. This is, I mean, very common. And, and honestly, it's exactly the way that they're trained. If they are involved in a shooting or something, well, specifically if they're involved in a shooting, they are told in their training and this 48-hour window helps them kind of you know, organize it, they are told that they were afraid for their lives. You'll see that that's a common quote if you go through these uh, allegations of misconduct or uh, you know, murder when they killed somebody unjustified. They always say that they were afraid for their lives. And that's... And that's what they do. They use this 48 hours and look at the case and say, oh, yeah, maybe there was, to use the famous example of uh, Jacob Blake, 
maybe there was a knife in the car somewhere near him that they just happened to know about, even though there's no way they would have known. But they can use that to justify their shooting and say that they were afraid for their lives. Yeah, and it always seems like the police that you see in these huge incidences of like police brutality, like, for example, the case with George Floyd, like, it always comes to light later that these officers have a history of abuse. And so it's just like these protections are literally set up to just continue. You know, they just keep putting these officers back in the field. They're not like not even really trying that hard to like move these officers to a different department. Like it's just literally sometimes it's just as simple as covering something up. In the uh, review board process, it's very, very rare that anyone faces any sort of uh, consequences. For example, in Minneapolis where uh, Derek Chauvin was, the guy who murdered George Floyd, it was found in 2012 that there were 2,600 complaints to the Office of Police Conduct Review Board, and only 12 officers received any punishment out of 2,600. And the most extreme punishment, once again, was a 40-hour suspension. That's it for violating police conduct, you know. And I don't know if we won't know what that incident was because they sealed the records, but ostensibly it could have been brutalizing somebody or like we saw in Kansas City here last year, body slamming a pregnant woman it could have been anything could have been as horrible as that and all they get was a 40-hour suspension i hadn't heard that like 2600 uh complaint number before that's absolutely batshit yeah and that's just in one year in 2012 and you know chauvin was wasn't he like a 20-year veteran of the force so i mean he would have been there he would have been one of the 2600 i'm sure Mm -hmm. and i doubt he was one of the 12 It's nuts. Can you imagine if any of these other industries that have that have unionized like teachers or like nurses, for example, like if any of them like had messed up to this extent, would they be placed on just a 48 hour like leave? Right. (laughs) Like if a nurse goes and accidentally kills somebody, like are they just going to be on leave? Yeah, they face a lot more. I mean medical professionals face a lot more consequences than police officers do. And if a teacher is found of misconduct, it's, it's what, like yelling at a student or, you know, and, but when an officer has a, you know, misconduct allegation, it's possibly he murdered somebody or manslaughter, you know, but he can't be found criminal criminally liable for it. There's a, there's definitely a misbalance of, uh, of misconduct here. Yeah. And it's just so sad because it takes, a union, which is typically really good and benefits industries a lot and protects the workers. And it just takes that and just brutally abuses it. It's like nobody wants to be anti-union. But when it comes to this, it's like, why Why do you have to go that far? Like, why is it zero to 100? Can we have like some protections without just letting you off of murder? Yeah, I mean, well, unions are, uh, that's another interesting thing about uh unions in general unions are started as a a left-wing movement i mean unions are socialism socialism isn't when the government does things socialism is when people you know collectively bargain and get together and and collectively make things better for all of them and police unions are very strange in that they are strictly right-leaning like something like 80% of police officers voted for Trump last year in 2020. 
Like, this is the only union that is expressly right-leaning. I mean, most unions are, I mean, of all the unions uh, in, that have ever endorsed a presidential, presidential candidate, they've always endorsed a Democrat, except for police unions. So, which is weird, because Republicans don't like unions, so they're just... Just kind of sus. You know, it, it's very sus. I mean, in, a, in 2017, the... For example, the AFL-CIO, which was the uh, overall uh, union conglomerate, uh, confederate kind of thing, uh, in 2017, they, uh, com- they completed a racial justice commission, which was in response to the Black Lives Matter movement in 2014 and 2015 after uh, uh, Ferguson. So basically, the whole point of the commission was to kind of identify where they're failing in any sort of uh, racial justice or immigration uh, protections and how they treat these people you know the minority class and stuff and uh the international union of police associates the iupa is the only group that did not participate in this study once again kind of sus i guess yeah it sticks out as very odd when they're the only ones that ever do these things like the only ones that vote right the only ones that turn down like a racial equality like seminar whatever it was but it just seems very odd they go out of their way to halt any discussion on racial justice, uh, justice for the black community, how to handle immigration, how to support immigrants, and then, of course, the detention. I mean, that's how they make their money in, in a lot of cases, is detaining people for, I mean, no reason mo- you know, a lot of the time. Or, you know, unjust laws, you know, upholding unjust laws. And they are very good at halting discussions and uh, stopping any sort of <laughs> investigations into how they're not upholding the uh, the AFL rights. I also think it's interesting. I was kind of quiet earlier because I was doing some uh, research before I said anything about it. But, like, I find it very interesting how, like, qualified uh, immunity specifically, which, like, we hear all the time when we hear about, like, police shootings or, like, police murders, anything like that, um, how qualified immunity has been shifted from what it used to be and what it, like, existed to be to basically what police officers specifically want it to be. Qualified immunity is like defined as a legal principle that grants government officials performing discretionary functions immunity from civil suits unless the plaintiff shows that the official violated a clearly established statutory or constitutional rights in which a reasonable person would have known. Um, so basically, like qualified immunity exists for like primarily like, agents for people that hold political office. If they have to like make a call that would seem like it might have been incorrect, but it would have been reasonable in that time. It didn't exist as a way to get away with murder until police unions were established because I just did some research on it and it looks like qualified immunity didn't come to like the forefront of like a legal precedent until about the mid-1960s and early 70s when they actually started organizing fully. And you'll also hear um, the PBA and other uh, advocacy groups for police officers say that if if we get rid of qualified immunity, then police officers will go to jail unjustly and you know, all this stupid stuff. And it's, it's not true. They're, they're fear mongering and it's not what, that's not what it is. That's not the point of it. It's sad. It is. And it looks like, um, when I was doing some research on it, that, um, as recently as 2018, um, organizations like the Cato Institute, as well as the ACLU, um, and the Institute for Justice all tried to lobby against keeping qualified immunity like completely because of what happened with police shootings 
and they were turned down. And it just so happens to be in states where unions have the most funding. Um, places like mm-hmm. Texas, California, Colorado, places that we see these issues happening all the time. Yeah, so here's here's a quote from a um, from the National Association of Police Organizations, which is a you know an organization that represents police unions. They say that quote with the qu- change to qualified immunity, an officer can go to prison for an unintentional act that unknowingly broke an unknown law. We believe in holding officers accountable for their actions, but the consequence of this would be making criminals out of decent cops, enforcing the law in good faith. But that's not true. As we just said, the point of qualified immunity is to protect officers from civil liability. They're, they're not, right. it doesn't have, qualified immunity has nothing to do with criminal prosecution. If they do break a law, and a law that they shouldn't break because it's illegal, no matter what, they should go to jail. But police officers are trying to say that qualified immunity protects them from even going to jail. And I don't know how they keep doing that. I don't know how they keep skirting prison, but it seems to work for them. It's just so weird. People want to say, like, this whole police size matter and all police are not bad or they want to, like, fight this whole idea. But it's like the protections that are put in place are not for innocent people. Like, if you had somebody that was actually doing their job in good faith and you know, actually trying to follow the law, you don't need stuff like this. So it's just, you know, why would you like have this if you do have like good people that are actually doing their job? You know, it only seems like this would benefit guilty. Right. And it seems like things like qualified immunity should exist for specific, like it says for civil suits, like for instance, if a family sued like the police department because they didn't think that their kid should be taken away from them, even though they were living in squalor and weren't being fed. Like that, that would be considered a civil suit. I don't think a civil suit should be qualified as something where an officer shot and killed a man. Like that, that's just straight up that you, you killed somebody that doesn't apply. It shouldn't apply. Yeah. That's murder. Yeah. So what could we do to cause there to be some repercussions for bad behavior in the police force? Like, do we have any like options? Well, I, after all, well, firstly, let me say, all cops are bastards. Let me just make that point. But in a, I do actually have some good news for once. There's actually a law that was introduced in Colorado in, in 2020 that was actually designed to help hold cops accountable. Uh, there's a lot to this law, so I don't know if I'll go through all of it right now. But one of the you know, bigger things about it was that it'll make cops partially fiscally responsible for set- settlements paid out due to their misconduct. So it'll be 5% of a judgment or $25,000, whichever is less, which they kind of get off the hooks there a little bit. So basically, anytime a cop is accused of, you know, misconduct, murder, anything like that, typically the city will pay out uh, sometimes millions of dollars to the families of the victims. And the police officers themselves are never held to any account at all on any of this stuff. It's always the, you know, your taxpayer dollars going to these settlements. But this new law in Colorado, which hopefully will be spreading throughout the country with the recent, uh, you know, conversations we've all had as a a society, Joker meme, again, this last year. Uh, But 5% of a judgment or $25,000, I mean, that's, it's not a trivial amount. That's, you know, almost half of a, a salary for a cop a year, probably. You know, because they probably make forty to sixty thousand, 
if you're just you know an average beat cop so that's that is one thing that i mean we'll have, we'll see how it goes but i think that would be a huge step in the right direction i mean i i do think that that is a good place to start i mean i still feel like that's like probably low considering the amounts that other people like have to pay in settlements like I mean, that end up in murder. Um, can we go to like that amount that's causing that's costing taxpayers? Actually, like, can we dive into like the uh, insane amounts of money that these settlements do cost? I think I have a couple numbers. Um, so I know, like, for the settlement with Michael Brown's family, that cost one point five million dollars. For Laquan McDonald, that cost five million dollars. Uh, Philando Castile, that was $3 million. And Brianna Taylor, that was $12 million. Just in those settlements alone. And I know, let me see, in 2019 altogether, it says claims against police were down and it still cost taxpayers $300 million. So, like, as soon as I hear these numbers, I'm thinking of all the people that are going around saying defund the police. And I know, like, the idea of that is to. Um, bring in more qualified like officials that, like social workers or counselors or therapists that could handle like domestic disputes and other things in a more productive matter. Um, but as soon as I think of like defund the police, I'm thinking like, can we take away some of the money that we pay in settlements? Do you think that that would be a good deterrent for police officers? Yeah, absolutely. I think a financial impact would be a great deterrent. Of course, if they're not worried about how much money they have to pay out and they already know they're going to get off basically scot-free from it then what's going to stop them from doing it again? Like it would, you would presume it would just be like your own moral ground, but clearly it's not. Um, the, the only problem with that I see, I mean, these families who are victims to the police misconduct and, and murder, let's just call it murder, they are entitled to some sort of payout for, you know, that someone's, a loved one of theirs has been taken away from them. Of course they should be, they should be compensated for what happened. So if we made the police 100% liable, then, you know, the cops can only pay what they have. So they can't pay out the, you know, $13 million, like for Breonna Taylor's case. So, I mean, the, the city or union or who it's probably the union, I guess, should come up with the other half or the other part of it, whatever the cop can't pay. But the cops should definitely pay as much as they could as they can you know i don't think five percent or twenty five thousand dollars is enough for a life you know so i think they should be held to a higher standard of you know fiscally but i don't know if making them 100 percent liable is the right case they should pay as much as they have or as much as they can or get their wages garnished for the rest of their fucking lives because they're known murderers of course but it's not going to make it right for these families who have been victims yeah, it's just so hard because I don't police departments like actually put aside millions and millions of dollars every single year for settlements like alone. Yep, they do. So like they literally plan for like misconduct and stuff like this, which I know normal companies um do that, but I feel like millions and millions of dollars like in settlements, like I don't even know if like hospitals put that much aside for settlements and I feel like that's like a, a more risky job. Yeah. I mean, that, yeah, everybody who walks in there. Well, <laughs> I don't know. Who knows? Because everybody who walks into an altercation with a cop is life or death, too. Like, should we do something like 
how we have for doctors where they are required to provide like insurance um like for themselves like should police have to do that also you know i think that is actually a thing that cops do have and i think that's good i think well, i don't know if it's something that they do have but i think that is part of the um the new Colorado law is that that was something that the police officers were talking about was that they would have to be open to getting insurance policies, which uh, good fuck them. They should, if they're going to be in a place of power and, you know, potentially have the right legally or legally, legally, whatever, whoever knows to take a life, then they should be able to bear the, you know, fiscal responsibilities for that. Yeah, absolutely. And if you want to hear a really terrifying number, I just found on NPR that um, over the last decade, the city of Chicago's, their taxpayers have paid over half a billion dollars for victims of police brutality. Half a billion dollars. That is so crazy. And to think that all these people just want to, like, garnish their pay, it's like, no, just take away some of, like, their protections. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, Maybe just, like, cut their budget in half for settlements and um, other, like, lawsuits. And why don't you just pay, like, counselors and therapists and social workers out of that? Maybe be a deterrent and, like, also bring actually qualified people into the conversation. You know what's kind of kind of kind of nasty about that half a billion dollars? Half a billion dollars isn't even a third of Chicago's budget. Mm-mm. Chicago gets $1.6 billion every year. Just for your police? Just for the police. The Chicago PD is $1.6 billion a year. $0.5 billion, half a billion, goes to settlements. And that's over the course of how long did you say? A decade. It's 10 years. 10 years. That's That's nothing. That's nothing to police unions. No. Or police departments, you know. It's a lot of money to the... The citizens, the you know, metropolitan citizens who pay in, into that and pay for the subjugation of their own, it's pretty fucked up. But it doesn't do anything to stop the, the, the police unions. No, they just have, like, police unions specifically. Not even, like, allocated budget, like, funding for, like, police departments. Police unions have so much money, like, an ungodly amount of money that they can just spend and basically to push their own agenda. Yeah, yeah, it it definitely is their own agenda. The AFL-CIO has a stated goal of, quote, to vanquish oppression, private privation, and cruelty in all of their forms. So, yeah, I think police, their aims are definitely antithetical to the uh, AFL-CIO's goals, definitely their own agenda. I know that we're talking about, like, all the protections and stuff of police officers, and you would, like, automatically kind of think in your head that this would lead like more protections would lead to increase in violence um but do we have like those numbers to show like a direct correlation because you know some people are going to be like oh just because there's protections doesn't mean like there's more you know police brutality yeah of course there have been a a lot of studies done that finds a direct correlation between uh unionization and the protections that go along with it to the an an increase of police brutality and misconduct at least allegations. For the benefit, we'll say that they're, uh, most of them are probably founded. But there's a University of Chicago study that found that a, uh, a sheriff's department in Florida gained unionization. And, and directly after that, there's a 40% increase of violent misconduct. Violent misconduct. That's not just 
you know, doing their job improperly or false stops or whatever. That's cruelty and brutality against people. A 40% increase immediately after unionization. It's, it's a direct and it's provable that there is a correlation between unionization and the protections that go along with it and violent misconduct. So I know that this is kind of a tricky question and we kind of like hinted at this earlier. So are we going to make the blanket statement like, are all police bad? Yeah, I think so. Like as a, in terms of from an organizational standpoint, yeah, the entire like the beginnings of the police were terrible and they stayed terrible. They had the option to get better and to try to introduce like sensitivity training or defunding different departments to make room for um, crisis intervention and stuff like that. And they've chosen not to. And they've actively, like, worked against it. Right, yeah. When I, whenever I say all cops are bastards, it's uh, more like copying is bastards. Mm-hmm. Being a yeah. cop is a bastard. You're upholding a bastard uh, standard. You're upholding bastard laws. You're engaging in bastard policies. It's not necessarily each individual cop is a bad person. That You know, there are... At least complicit. They're exactly they're complicit yeah. in a in a fucked up cruel system, and you know when people say blue lives matter and stuff, everybody's talking about like the the risk that cops put themselves in, blah blah blah. Being a cop isn't even in the top ten most dangerous professions. Delivery drivers have way more risk to their life than a cop does, and in some cases they get fucking murdered by the cops for no reason too. There's that famous case of that UPS truck that got uh, hijacked. And the cops unloaded like fucking 200, 300 rounds into it in a, on a crowded fucking highway and ended up killing like three innocent bystanders. Yeah, it, it's not necessarily that each individual cop is a bad person, but the system that they are in and the system that they are upholding is bad. And they are complicit and actively engaging in upholding this bad system. So being a cop is bastard. There's many stories of, of police as a general organization doing terrible stuff but you know the the union uprising in the early 1900s and late 18 or mid eight mid to late 1800s i mean there's the famous case of the battle of blair mountain where a bunch of uh i'm pretty sure it's virginia virginia union organizers they're trying to unionize for a uh, coal mine and the uh capital owners didn't want it to happen so they just hired cops uh the pinkerton group which is a whole fucked up thing that we can't get into it's spans 100 years it's crazy uh yeah they dropped bombs on union organizers they murdered union families women children men they had gun trains roll through this union camp and fucking shoot down everybody with machine guns they fought against unions as hard as they could whenever it was you know good for their wallets and then the moment that all of a sudden unionizing became kind of the standard and and a good thing they wanted to co-opt the movement and become a union themselves it's so fucking gross so i know like a common argument is that we need to increase training for police um and i mean i obviously think that we should because police only get like i mean sometimes at minimum like six months of training to be a police officer which is just insane to be able to uphold a law or laws with that little of training when it takes a lawyer like three years of schooling um to actually do the same. um it's i'm so terribly sorry to tell you this but it's actually less than that and i remember that because it's they go through these exact same amount of weeks of training 
as I did when I became a restaurant manager. <laughs> so crazy. I wish I was fucking with you, but I'm not. I looked it up and I was just like, you've got, it. actually, I think I went through a week longer. <laughs> isn't, so- isn't it like three months? Like 12 yeah. weeks? Yeah. Yeah. And if I, it, when I was in training, I had to do it for like three and a half. And I know that a lot of people are saying um, that that's like kind of our solution to all of this is police just don't have enough training. But then it brings me back to the whole thing of like we have statistical evidence of whenever you um, extend collective bargaining to sheriff departments or police departments and you have a 40 percent increase in uh, violent misconduct. Like so how do you link together having more training and lowering violent misconduct? Like it just, it doesn't really seem like there's like a link there. Is it just police are inherently bad or like, is the police department like creating these monsters? Like what's going on? Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a question that has been asked and I don't know if it's ever been fully answered, but I think one of the, one of the direct answers that you could come up with was, um, there's a, uh, there's a guy named Grossman. It's easy to remember because fucking gross. He's a gross man. You would you could say he um he built himself as this uh tough guy, Navy SEAL type, hardcore pipe hitting motherfucker, and he was a nobody and he didn't do shit. And all he did was interview a bunch of people who were out in war, and he they came back and they you know he wrote up what they said and he's the kind of guy. I don't know if anybody's seen it. It's it's prevalent in the like gun community. It's so fucking annoying. But there's the the sheep dog thing. He's the guy who came up with that. You know, saying that the there are two type of people: the the sheep and the sheep dogs. And the police protect the sheep. They're the sheep dogs. They protect them from the wolves. I guess there's three type of people. Fucking I don't know. It's so stupid. It's like the alpha male shit, which also is not true. The alpha male doesn't exist. But anyways, he, he was the guy who came up with the, um, you know, I was afraid for my life thing that I talked about earlier. His training directly leads to cops being more violent. He tells cops to shoot first and ask questions later, uh, ostensibly, basically. He tells everybody that everybody, you know, he tells the cops that everybody could have a gun, you know. You shoot yourself or else you'll get shot. And he sh- shows these examples of somebody who, you know, a police officer was trying to be nice. And then this guy pulled out an AK and blasted the cop and shit. And it's like that shit it doesn't. I mean, it has happened, but that shit doesn't happen like that. That's it's not what it's like. But he trains them to be, you know, itchy trigger finger, be ready to draw down at the first sign of anything. And this mindset is is prevalent throughout policing and. I mean, it extends outside of policing, too, which is fucking scary. Well, I don't know if training is necessarily the right thing, because when they do get training, they get the wrong kind of training that reinforces this negative idea that, you know, they're warriors when they're not. They're supposed to be public servants. It sounds like you'd have to, like, completely reform the entire system for more training to even be effective. Like, it's so easy to just say, like, more training. Cops don't have enough training, which I agree with. But, like, the entire system is just, like, built on just corruption and just, like, violence. Yeah, to, to, to further that idea, when 
criticisms were lobbied against this guy, Grossman, and his his training. There was a specific name for it. It, it might have been the Sheepdog Way or some shit, something like that, some stupid LARPy bullshit. But when allegations, you know, not allegations, but when people were criticizing his, you know, methodology and his teaching, eventually it came down that police are no longer allowed to go to those seminars, or they were told not to uh, go to those seminars anymore. But specific police unions across the country said, no, we're going to send our people there. They're, we're, we are going to pay them to go, but it's not, you know, a, a, a bureau sanctioned or a department sanctioned training event. They're doing it to further their training by their own, like on their own. But the unions backed it and they willfully went against the, uh, this, the mandate to stop going to these places, stop going to these training seminars. But they'll do it anyways because they get told what they like to hear that they're warriors and they're tough and they're, badasses so even when you do try they go out of their way to do the worst fucking possible thing they could it almost sounds like since increasing training is not really the answer whenever like the entire system is just corrupt forcing police to like de-unionize is that maybe the answer i think that's that could help i think that could help in a lot of ways and there have been people who you know they have said that the police shouldn't be part of the AFL-CIO. They should not be union anymore. Uh, other unions, uh, well, you know, local chapters who have petitioned the AFL-CIO to disaffiliate police unions. Have they uh, all tweeted at the AFL-CIO? Yes. I have done that too myself. I have <laughs> hopped on the AFL-CIO uh, verified Twitter and told them to disaffiliate police off police unions multiple times. And each fucking time they hide my comments because they're scared. And I feel like I have the right to, since I personally work for a union myself. I don't want my union money, you know, because I pay, I pay into the AFL-CIO. And I'm fucking funding these cops, too. I mean, we all are. Mm-hmm. I'm funding the fucking unions. I don't want to be a part of that. I don't need that. But they, they don't fucking listen. And, and they say, the AFL-CIO says, that they need to keep unions close uh, so they can watch them or whatever. But they obviously don't when the police unions actively don't uh, participate in the racial justice commissions you know like they're not really a part of the AFL-CIO at all they're right-leaning which goes against the AFL they don't participate in the things everybody else does they actively organize against the stuff the AFL-CIO does for uh, let me give you a quote here from the intercept Police unions, compared to other others within organized labor, tend to be more rigidly ideological and are adept at organizing. That combination means police unions can often pull their coalition partners, particularly in corrections, probation, and the building trades, to be to the right on issues that go beyond strict policing concerns. Police unions are really good at organizing. That's their whole that's the whole point. So they'll team up with like the Teamsters which is a huge part of the union. They have a lot of power because they make the union a lot of money. And they will kind of rope them into their side and go against anything that's supposed to help, you know, the rights of of humans, (laughs) ostensibly, because that's what police unions are against. They're pro-oppression. And another group, the Writers Guild of America East, uh, which represents television writers and digital journalists, they also wrote a note to the AFL-CIO, a letter saying, quote, as long as police unions continue to wield their collective bargaining power as a cudgel, 
preventing reforms and accountability, no one is safe. I think that's very true. Them being antithetical to the union movement means that they shouldn't be part of the union at all, in my opinion. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, I mean, it seems like as soon as you get the like evidence that unionizing causes a direct correlation between like increased violence, it seems like that should be the end of it right there, right? Right, and they, you know, they don't produce anything. They're not, it's not a labor union. I mean, I know the argument has been made against Against that line of thinking, you know, that uh, police or uh, teachers unions don't produce anything either. But I don't think that's true. I think uh, teachers unions produce well-functioning, highly educated children who are, you know, the future of the world. Or as that fucking racist, crazy uh, politician said, Hitler was right about one thing. If you get the youth, you got the future. Which, why the fuck would you ever say anything about Hitler was right? ever god damn it but anyways uh, teachers unions they do produce goods they produce a, a functioning future society and you know they their safety is right now at risk and the teachers unions are instrumental in protecting teachers from dying from covid from reopening schools too fast teachers unions are are good and they do produce a net good for the world and police unions are not that it also like has me wondering now like teachers are notorious for like low wages and not having increases in wages and going back to like the origin of police unions and the collective bargaining and all of that um the qualified immunity of police unions like so they started asking for like qualified immunity whenever they couldn't get pay raises but like how shitty of thinking is that that you're like oh well i can't get more money so make sure you protect me in case i murder somebody like you don't see teachers going out and negotiating the same thing teachers and nurses as soon as they don't get pay increases they're not over here like well could i kill a patient or like kill a student and get away with no other union freaking thinks like that (laughs) Like what? Right, definitely tells you their uh, their priorities. Well, now I'm like, why are these teachers just not going out, just freaking taking machetes to classrooms? Come on, it's let me kill a kid as a treat. Yeah, <laughs> detention's not working anymore. We gotta send them bitches to jail. We're sending him to the shadow plane. <laughs> you did like to kill a mockingbird, so you know what? I, I did what I had to do. Your essay was shit. Take some mace, motherfucker. Actually, I do want that for teachers. (laughs) They need to start negotiating like winners. I would have been dead in like second grade. Yeah, shit. Well, Miss Robinson would have cooked me out. You would have either learned real good or been fucked up. Lily brought her snake to school. Wasn't that second grade? Whenever you did that, first grade. It was first grade. Oh, sorry. (laughs) You would have been cool (laughs) in first grade. She brought her snake to school for show and tell, and our teacher was deathly afraid of snakes. She left our classroom. She screamed <laughs> at me for like an hour. I definitely would have got tased a couple times instead of getting that in-school suspension. <laughs> I would have taken a tasing over ISS. ISS was fucking lame. Uh, it was, but I was, I've never been more productive in my life. That's true. That's true, I guess. <laughs> Were you one of those kids who uh, got cool with the ISS teacher and used to go like play on his computer and shit? No, every time I walk by, I'd be like, hey, Lily, you coming here? And I'd be like, no, not, not today. today. Not Do you know time. something I don't? 
So to be clear, these kids of America should be happy that these teachers' unions aren't starting to militarize. <laughs> yes. Militarize well, teachers first. I kind of have some bad news for you, though, if we're going to get on this. Oh, shit. Michelle. Yeah, I know. I told you I can't allow anybody to have any fun. Uh, with uh, the increase in school shootings, which, I mean, still haven't got that figured out. Uh, a lot of police officers have been brought uh, into schools. Uh, what are they called? Like school resource officers or whatever? Yeah. There's a lot of problems with school resource officers. I don't have any stats. This is all off the cuff here. But uh, there's been a lot of stories of police officers in schools um, kind of sort of grooming kids. That's pretty bad. Pedophiles. Yeah. And and uh, I don't once again I don't have the stats off of this, but before school resource officers were in classes, uh, the teachers were in charge of the kids. You know that's that was the kind of the point of teachers is to educate and also kind of control the kids. I mean they're there all day. It's what they do. So when a kid was acting up, you know they would get fucking detention or whatever. But with school school resource officers now it, it has really reinforced the. Uh, school to prison pipeline there's been a, a crazy increase of, of schools uh, of children getting arrested and sent to fucking juvie and then jail because of an increase of school resource officers who haven't done anything to bring up the school shooting point again not one time has a school resource officer ever stopped a school shooting so the police problem just keeps getting worse i mean i know that we just saw that um, the one girl at that school that just went viral, she just got, like, assaulted. Like, she was thrown down by a police officer on, like, the sidewalk. Yeah. And that one just had gone viral. I mean, we've seen videos like this come up in the past. Um, we saw it at our school. Yeah, I mean, as a school that had an officer in it who didn't do shit. I used to skip class and go smoke out in the parking lot with them. He really did not do shit the entire time. No, I did. He didn't. It was he like a meme <laughs> seeing him around. I'm so glad though that we didn't have a resource officer that took his job like extra serious in school though, because like the last thing that these kids need to be doing, I can just like imagine this whole scene playing out in my head of like this teacher like accusing students because we had some pretty shitty teachers like in our time that. Were, <laughs> students like teachers that were just flat out racist at school yeah if they started like accusing students of like um you know like stealing stuff or just like doing something and then have like the resource officer come take care of that like I could just see that leading to violence so quick because like <laughs> our teachers were in no place to be you know judge jury and executioner back in the day <laughs> yeah no i mean and not just violence like like i said earlier reinforce that school to prison pipeline you know you throw a kid in juvie for something they didn't do or you know a, a minor infraction but because you have a cop there who has arrest power you send them to juvie and and make you compound the problem and make it way worse instead of just saying you know hey kid what you did was wrong and teaching them that they need to be better and, and not, you know, be a shithead if they're being a shithead. You know, that's the better thing you can do. That's the uh, the 
hospitable humanitarian thing. Sending them to jail is antithetical to that, and that's kind of the that was kind of the point, though. At least it was a byproduct. Yeah, I mean, like we have guidance counselors for a reason, and I can't think of like one instance where like one of our counselors did not like solve the issue like that we had in school. And I mean, we had like a lot of aggression and physical violence and stuff happening in school, but our counselors were always essentially like able to stop the issue. Yeah, between our counselors and our principals. Yeah. That's the problem with policing. It's uh it's not humanitarian. It's uh it opposes uh <laughs> yeah, it opposes the principles of of freedom and democracy and pursuit of happiness. We see police in other countries around the world that don't have the same issue. And they, it's instead of following their model, we continue down this dangerous path. It's like we need to increase training for police. We need to totally reform the entire system so that it's not built on structural racism. And um, we also need to just have um, less protections for these officers. I mean, you never want to not have protection for workers, but in this case, you want to reduce the qualified immunity so that people don't just get away with murder. And I'm not talking about just throwing these officers out to the wolves, but maybe just, like, can we compromise and not spend $300 million in settlements in, like, one year? Just, like, have some accountability, like, maybe pay some of it? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, there's still some other protections that we haven't touched on if you want to move on to those really fast. Yeah. Okay. Um, so one thing that um, is important to uh, union protections uh, that we were just talking about is uh, arbitration. Uh, labor ar- arbitration typically is to protect the worker from the capital owners or business owners, whatever you want to call them. I'm kind of, you know, sort of Marxist timeline here, so I'm going to call them capital owners. But uh, arbitrators, that, that the whole point is kind of a solve a, a legal dispute. But the police department and unions, their arbitrators work for the union, in like specifically the union, as instead of labor law in general. So the arbitrators are very pro-cop in a way that is different than anyone else. So arbitrators get cops reappointed at a crazy rate. It's like 60% or something. And it, it just, once again, makes it really hard for there to be any accountability because they, a part of the qualified immunity kind of type uh, workings that they have is if uh, a police officer is going to be punished for something, they have to follow the um, the precedent set in place from a previous incident. So if a cop was put on uh, probation or maybe they were put on some sort of uh, leave for for whatever, then that is the that's the the punishment that's going to follow basically forever. So if the last the last punishment was way too lenient, the arbitrator is going to say, uh-uh, you can't fire this guy. The last guy only got a suspension, so he has to get suspended too. Pretty bad. <laughs> Pretty gross. And then, then of course, there's the uh, internal review and uh, the 
civil complaint board, which has a, a very, very fucked up history here. Let me just kind of read you off some stuff here. So the internal review means that cops are investigated by the cops for misconduct. So and, and people have been talking about it for decades that we should probably get rid of the internal review board and have a uh, external review, have civilians review the cops. And uh, this was famously and most poignantly, I think, uh, a story that happened in 1966 in New York. Uh, the public complained about police misconduct, which surprise, surprise, NYPD doing police misconduct. And even more shockingly, uh, a lot of the complaint were from complaints were from the uh, city's black population who had unsurprisingly been experiencing disproportionate amounts of aggression at the hands of police. Who would have thought? So the city wanted to add four civilians onto the civilian complaint review board to review civilian complaints. You should have civilians review them, right? But this was met with extreme resistance by police, often racist in nature. Once again, all very obvious stuff. But the city council held a meeting to consider the change, and 5,000-member picket line formed, organized by the PBA, to protest the meeting. The uh, PBA president, John Cassass, he said, quote, I'm sick and tired of giving in to minority groups with their whims and their gripes and their shouting. 63% of New Yorkers voted to abolish the review board. Yeah. In what way are innocent people saying, no, I absolutely don't want mi- minorities to review my conduct? Like, what? <sighs> yeah. I mean, it's, you, you still see it. I mean, we had that, that little short New York police guy who was like fucking screaming about how they're, they're mistreating us. They're treating us like dogs. They're spitting on us. And we're out there to, to protect them. Like, no, man, no, the fuck you're not. The, you're supposed to work for the citizens, and the citizens are telling you you're doing a bad job, and you're just going to say, nuh-uh. Like, man, that's not how that works. The only thing in my brain was, do gringos deserve rights? Be honest. And the answer is no. <laughs> so sorry. And I'm also still thinking about the the Navy SEAL copy pasta. <laughs> <laughs> He said Navy SEAL, and I was just like, what the fuck did you say about me, you little bitch? I'll have you know. I'm so sorry. The whole, the whole Navy arsenal. I have the entire backing of the United States military behind me, you little fuck. Yeah, that's what it was. Oh, Think again, kiddo. Uh, well. Give me some more uh, protections. Uh, Sure. Um, I'll yeah. give you... I'll give you one more, and then I'll let you have some good news. I'll give you a little treat. (laughs) One more as a treat. (laughs) Yeah. Well, one more bad one, and then I'll give you some good stuff, some good news. Okay. Okay, so if a police officer is fired for misconduct, any kind of misconduct, violent misconduct, murder, whatever, and, and, you know, they're not held criminally liable, they in almost all cases, retain their post-certification, which the it's that the three-week or that three-month class that they go through to get the license to be a police officer. Um, there's that, was that the famous thing that's been going around is that uh, uh, 
what do they call him? A beautician goes through 3,600 hours of uh, hair school to get their license to cut hair. But a police officer only goes through like 1,200 or some shit, whatever it was. Yeah. That's what they get is the post certification. I don't know what it stands for. It doesn't fucking matter. Cops are bastards anyways. So when a cop gets fired by a police department for misconduct, they retain their post certification and then like I said earlier, they, you know, delete or hide their uh, records of any misconduct. So oftentimes, if not every fucking time, you'll see a police officer violently who is violent and, you know, murderous or brutal who will get bounced around to different counties and different departments because he retains his post certification. It's almost impossible to lose your post certification. You just have your license and you don't like have retests. You don't go through the class again. You keep your license and it, it's very famous. You know, there, there was a Philando Castile's murderer. I'm pretty sure he was a guy who had been bounced, bounced around to three or four different departments because he had been fired for violent misconduct and he just went to a new department. So that's good. <laughs> That's the thing that I find the most insane, I think, actually. Like, you can 100% just, like, murder a dude in the street and then go to the next town and be like, hey, guess what? I've never done anything wrong in my life ever. And they'll just be yeah, like... Yeah, you can't prove it. Yes, absolutely. You haven't. And I, I know this. And then you just get your job back again in a slightly different area. Right. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah, and that's another. I mean, another thing that people complain about cops about all the time is that they don't live in the neighborhoods that they're, you know, policing. And I mean, this helps kind of reinforce that. You could be kicked out of one police department for killing or brutalizing people in their in your community, and then just go to somewhere else to a different community where you have less attachment and less care for the people there. And what, of course, they're going to continue that that you know internal policy of brutality that's just what they do so cops do man cops do be shit they're bastards but y'all ready for some good news though yeah yeah hit me okay this is actually breaking since we're recording in early 2021 breaking. in uh, february 16th 2021 february february it's impossible to say no one knows how to say it <laughs> In uh, New York City, a federal appeals court decided to make public the records of police disciplinary records. The state civil rights law blocked the release of police records, and the federal appeals court overturned that section of the law known as 50A. So this is honestly huge. So this is going to set the precedent that police records of misconduct and allegations of misconduct Will can be released to the public, and we've seen you know hacktivist groups uh, find lists of police uh, records, and I mean that's how we know that Derek Chauvin was accused. What was it, sixteen times of police mm-hmm. misconduct and violent misconduct? Yeah. This is gonna help a lot to keep police officers accountable, and it's so funny to hear the police officers and the police officer union uh, organizers and. Uh, representatives try to fight this and say that like it's going to make their jobs more uh dangerous because uh 
the city, the citizens aren't going to like these specific cops. It's like, well, maybe they shouldn't like these specific cops. Maybe they shouldn't be cops. But but also, that doesn't happen. There's no records. Can you say that again? If if they're not out here assaulting people or murdering people, then there's no records to be looked at. Yeah, you don't you don't you don't have. There's no need for any sort of animosity if you're not fucking with people. But it's it's also funny too because that doesn't happen. Like it's proven that that shit doesn't happen. Police officers don't get targeted. You know, I don't know how or why they would be especially targeted. But if cops, you know, if their records are known, it doesn't make their job more dangerous. It just means people know what the fuck's going on. Cops are like the perfect gaslighters. Yeah, they have love, a yeah. They love to victim blame. They do. Yeah, they love to victim blame and be the victims themselves. They're like, I'm sorry that I freaking beat you up and assaulted you, but now people are gonna be mad at me. Do you want that? Like, such a. Bitch. Have you ever thought about what happens to me? The beater. Um, if I <laughs> shot you, there'd be a record of it. There isn't a record of it because you made it up because you're fucking crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I know, man. Like, we should fucking give our uh, delivery drivers this shit. They should be the thin bread line. The thin bread line? Yeah, dude. Did these you say bread? Pizza... Yes, these incredible. pizza delivery drivers, their job is way more dangerous than these cops. Their lives are at risk way more. It's the, the, the thin bread crust. Yes. We need to absolutely. we need to pack the bread. Yes. Nothing but respect for my troops. Exactly. <laughs> the real heroes. I don't like thin crust. I don't like thin crust either, but maybe we can say maybe we can have a Chicago style crust. The thin bread line. But I like it thick. I like it thick too. <laughs> I like it thick. <laughs> I, I like that thick crust. I got one more piece of good news. It's very hard to find any good news. So I got one. <laughs> All right. So this is kind of a continuation on a, a point I had earlier, the uh, new Colorado law that was introduced uh, last year in 2020. In addition to the uh, holding police, uh, off, police officers accountable uh, fiscally for any misconduct settlements, there's more stuff involved in this law, which is, fucking great so uh, another provision in the law is a uh, mandatory body cams which is great why the fuck is that not already a thing and another thing which is uh very big there's a there's a weird activist group that kind of like checks the cops they'll go and like start a conversation with a cop just to see what they say and if they do like one thing out of line they like file a report and stuff and it's weird and like, I don't know, kind of strange, but it's interesting. But one thing that these people talk about is um, it's kind of like a FOIA request, which is basically a, a request to get federal documents. If uh, you request the documentation of an encounter that you had with a cop, you're supposed to have it within a certain, like it's, a, I think the legally it's like a reasonable amount of time, which who fucking knows what that means. But no one does it. Cop, like police officers don't release the articles in a reasonable amount of time. They just refuse to because they don't want any sort of 
you know, clarity into the situation. But this new law allows um, mandatory 21-day turnaround between filing a complaint and releasing the body cam footage. So anytime you say, can I get the, the footage for this, hap- this thing that happened, the department has 21 days to uh, complete the request, which is great. And another thing is uh, they will also release annual reports of police activity and misconduct. Which so police activity would include any sort of any stops, uh, any interactions, any use of force, and then misconduct, of course, would be complaints against uh, specific officers for you know violent misconduct or any misconduct of any kind. And uh, there's a further one which I'm just going to quote. It's legalese, so it's kind of hard to really parse. But let me let me get try to try to get through it here. Quote: If any peace officer is convicted of or pleads guilty or nolo contendere to a crime involving the unlawful use or threatened use of physical force or the failure to intervene in another officer's use of unlawful force or is found civilly liable in either case, the post board shall permanently revoke the police, the peace officer's certification. That was one sentence, by the way. So that's why it took me a second to get through it. That was hard. Yeah, it's 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 rough. a lot. So basically what this is saying is is a police if a police officer is convicted of or pleads guilty to a crime involving use of force or if they don't intervene in another police officer's unlawful use of force which of course immediately you think of Derek Chauvin and the uh, Minneapolis Police Department because there's Derek Chauvin and then the two other cops. And the two other cops just stood by and watched Derek Chauvin murder George Floyd for eight, eight minutes and 46 seconds and never said anything, never did anything. This new law will make those officers, all three of them in, this situ- in, that, in that situation under this law, all three of them would lose their police officer uh, certification. It's fucking huge. That's, that's the best. That's great. That should be the law of the land. That shit should be federal, dude. That's the best. There is like no other, no better way to reinforce a, a sense of security in your police department if you know that if they murder somebody or stand by and let another officer murder somebody for no fucking reason, and they should lose their fucking jobs. Like, of course. Yeah. Of course. It's so obvious. Why the fuck is this not a thing already? So that's the new law in Colorado. It was introduced in, uh, last year in 2020, and I don't think it happens until 2023 or 2025. So we have some time to kind of see, you know, the, the ramification, the, what happens with it, the repercussions. But it's that's huge. And there have been other states and police departments who have lost funding. And what was it? Uh, somewhere in Texas, I don't remember if it was Austin or Dallas, but their police department lost funding and being like a billion dollar a million dollars i don't don't remember i don't have it in front of me but they lost that money and they're the city is now using that money to buy defunct hotels for housing for houseless people that's amazing yeah that's That's the that's that's the best that's the shit that we need to do and and that is this kind of me making my case for the defund the police thing that is the point of defund the police in my mind is reallocating this money 
to do things that are actually helpful to to people. Yeah, well. giving cops tanks and giving top cops machine guns and grenade launchers and shit isn't making anybody safer. It's not even making the cops safer. The cops don't use that shit. They don't need that shit. The cops, they waste that money. And if we took the money away from them, because they're not going, they're not going to use it for training. They're just going to use it to militarize. Take that money away from them, and invest it back into the communities community centers, invest in education, housing for the houseless, food for the hungry, like, all this shit seems so obvious. Why are we not doing anything? And I think the one, I don't know if you want to say the good thing or the positive plus side or whatever of the uh, the civil civil rights movements and protests we've had last year is that some shit is actually happening. Finally, after... 200 years of oppression from these police officers and police departments and police unions finally some progress is being made and i'm not a particularly optimistic kind of dude but that's a that's pretty great yeah i mean we still have a long way to go but we're definitely making some progress going in the right direction and i think having these conversations though they may not be easy because I mean, let's face it, we all know police officers or we all are related to a police officer or our yeah, my friend. My grandpa was a police department, KCPD officer, and he retired from them. Fuck him. He's a bastard, too. Yeah, my yeah. brother was a cop. Yeah, and I mean, we all have friends of friends who are police officers, but it's just the conversation that you have to have. I mean, somebody who is in a system that is founded on hypocrisy. And in a society? <laughs> in the society. Uh, <laughs> it was founded on racism and who has a history of violent misconduct and who you can see a direct correlation between uni- unionizing and having um, immunity and an increase in violence. I mean, you have so much domestic violence and stuff within the police force. It's it's imperative that we have these conversations, whether it is easy or not. And the quicker that people start realizing that being a part of an, a system that is built on racism and hypocrisy and all of this makes you a bad person. You can't just sit by and say, well, my brother, my uncle, my friend is a police officer. So they're not all bad. If you're a part of the system, you are bad. You are complicit. You are letting this go on. You're in a system that is creating bad policing. It just, it is. And we're making progress, but it's not enough. We need to keep having these conversations. So friends, I think it's the time where we say, are police unions awful or are they good? Mm, Bad. 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 Yeah, pretty bad. And we didn't even really touch on the the racial stuff. We didn't even touch on the uh, the confiscation of personal money. We didn't even talk about the drug war. Policing is bad for a lot of reasons. And police unions yeah. are the front line at stopping any sort of accountability or repercussions or consequences for these police officers who uphold these horrible laws and these racist stigmas and racist systems and police unions unequivocally are bad. 
the conversation of policing goes far beyond this podcast. I mean, we could spend like 24 hours just yes. talking about how the history of policing is bad, how every single day minorities are being targeted. We could talk about how every single day there is, I mean, we're upholding laws that were built on like racist foundations. I mean, this conversation goes far beyond that. But right now we are tackling police unionization. And without all of the rest, you can see the corruption behind these police departments and these sheriff's departments. I mean, it is black and white, the correlation between offering these protections and the violence that goes on in these police forces. You can see the waste of taxpayer dollars. And but beyond that, we start talking about some of the positive changes that are happening. So in no way is this to discourage people from fighting police reform for police reform, because we have seen the uh, productivity of the civil movements that have gone on within the past year alone. So I think it's important to keep having these conversations to dive a little bit deeper. I don't think that police unions are talked about nearly as enough as much as they should be um, just because of the terrifying statistics behind them. So so there's a lot more nuance, the union side of things. There's a lot of legal stuff and history stuff that is not as, not as, not as visible. Yeah, maybe we'll have to have a part two of this podcast and dive into some more police issues. Yeah, we didn't even talk about 40% of uh, police spouses who are beaten. Yeah. I mean, the domestic abuse among police officers, and that is reported. That is uh, self-reported. That is self-reported. 40%. Domestic abuse. Can you just imagine what's going on behind the closed doors of people who aren't reporting? I mean, they're reporting to themselves, so that just goes to show you. There's a lot to talk about with police departments, police forces, but police unions are a good place to start. So let's keep having the conversations on what we can do, how we can um, keep fighting for reform within these police departments to get some accountability. It all comes down to accountability so that we have a just department that's not built on oppression and lies. Um, and all we can do is just keep fighting we can obviously see that the police unions are fucking awful. I mean, there's no good about them. They just come down to straight up helping to cover up murders, violence, neglect from these police departments. And there's nothing good about it. Um, but yeah, I think that we're doing good by talking about it, exposing the truth about it. And that's the best that we can do. And next week, we're going to be diving even further into some more abuses and just disgusting truths about an industry that people just may not want to know about. Lily? And that would be chocolate. Chocolate? That would be chocolate. What are they selling? What are chocolate. they selling? Chocolate. <laughs> I remember when they first admitted chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we really are talking about chocolate, folks. We're talking about the dirty, disgusting, awful, tragic truth about the chocolate industry. You're never going to look at a Hershey's bar the same way. Say fucking goodbye to s'mores because you're never going to want one again. No Easter candy. Nope. None of it. 
No, no more making chocolate chip cookies. It's fucking done. Can't wait for you guys to listen to it. And this was Awfully Good Podcast. Thanks, guys. <laughs>